Dear hashtag haters, you think you got one up on me just because I took an unsolicited DM at face value and staked my reputation on it? This is how sports journalism works, losers. What did you want me to do? Wait until Tommy Curran gets an emergency text after Brady awards himself a purple heart? No way. You have to strike while the take is hot. Maybe it was based on made up bullshit from someone I don't know and who included hashtag haters in the DM. But who is everyone talking about right now? Me, Ben Volen. I am the most popular figure in Boston sports media now. Greg Hill, who? As they say, fortune favors the bold. I'm not afraid to bring people the truth about the Patriots, no matter how poorly sourced, unlike you homers. Enjoy the kiddie pool. I'll be sailing the high seas for the next unfounded opinion to drive up my engagement numbers. Yours truly, Ben Volen. P.S. This is Ben. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Entitled Weekend. Thanks, Ben, for that uh, terrible email. Um, I don't, I don't know if you were DM'd that, but uh, appreciate you sending it to uh, the Entitled Weekend Gmail account. It's interesting that you listen to this show instead of Entitled Town, but um, that's fine. But anyway, welcome to Entitled Weekend. It's uh, well, the Sunday night edition because the Patriots are playing on Monday, and. Before we get started with uh, our agenda, because we have a lot to cover, uh, guys, uh, watch, watching Sunday night, Sunday football, and I love these days because, you know, it's good to relax and not have to worry about the Patriots, but my God, I mean, it's just so evident that <laughs> the Patriots are so well coached, man, because some of these teams are just unbelievably, <laughs> it, it, it's so juvenile in in the coaching uh, m- manners of of these teams rather than Bill Belichick and everybody complains about Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, and all this stuff, but it's just so unbelievable watching these teams. I mean, do, do you guys get that sense? It's, I mean, how could you? How does this not give you any type of perspective? It has to. I mean, you're looking at you're looking at the Denver Jets who wants it less bowl right now. And I know there's been, you know, multiple injuries to the Jets, but those teams are con- are just stepping on their dicks the entire game. And you've got people coming off of bye weeks that are struggling. I mean, you know, the numbers are going to look good at the end of the game for the Raiders, but the Raiders were in a dogfight for three quarters with the Houston Texans when the Raiders were coming off their bye. The Detroit Lions losing to the Dallas Cowboys. And listen, in the grand scheme of what football looks like this year, the Dallas Cowboys aren't a bad team. But coming off your bye, you should be more competitive. They just they they once again didn't put up points. And it seems like they when they meet a good defense, they struggle. Um, especially without Swift. But you're hitting multiple teams that are just consistently shooting themselves in the foot. I saw something today. The Jacksonville Jaguars. By the end of the first quarter of this week, so six games in one quarter, had gone on for it on fourth down 14 times in 6.25 games. 
what world are we living in that there is that extent of ridiculousness with fourth down? You know, the the like Wait, the analytics does, have gone does, too far does the other Dan way. Cam- does Dan Campbell coach the Jaguars now? I, I didn't know this. I, I think he has to. I think Dan Campbell is coaching 75% of the teams in the league right now. And then you're seeing, and I, I hate to give him credit, and I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure Ironhead Sphincter is going to tighten as I say it. But Pete Carroll is acclimating himself well this year as a head coach after there was some doubt about them only getting one ring with Wilson. He's leading a Geno Smith-led team. And, you know, the game isn't closed out yet, I don't believe, um, with the Chargers right now. But they're acclimating themselves well week in, week out. They're three and three. They're leading right now to poise themselves to go to four and three. They're, they're, there's a similar recipe for, you know, for Pete Carroll leading the Seahawks this year as there is to Belichick. I think Belichick's a vastly better coach. And I think the NFC is a vastly softer conference this year than the AFC is. But overall, you're looking at it and seasoned coaches seem to be doing some damage. And I'd even acclimate that to Tomlin, um, you know, with a good game plan against the box last week, beating, you know, beating the box. I wouldn't put it past him for the Steelers to beat the Dolphins this week on Sunday night. That hasn't started yet, but it's, it's just, it's clear the haves and have nots of coaching. There's a wide chasm between the two. I completely agree with you. I think we talked about this um, last week or the week before about how every single week when we turn the Patriots game on, one of the first things that jumps off the screen is the massive coaching advantage that the Patriots have, whether it's, you know, um, uh, what's his face? Kevin Stefanski on the other sideline. You know, it's just this Brandon Staley is just in a league of his own as far as just being a complete moron. I mean, that guy, the fact that they even let him on the plane after that Cleveland Browns game where he goes for it up two points on his own 50-yard line, fourth and two with 48 seconds left and the Browns have no timeouts. Like, I mean, who does that? That just doesn't even make any sense. But it's just, it kind of goes beyond that. I think what we're seeing this season a little bit more than any other season is that really good coaching from the, the, the sort of the bottom up, from the spring right straight through – building of cultures, things like this matters. And I know everybody likes to, you know, shit on the Belichick quote unquote coaching tree. So he's not going to get any credit for this guy, but look at what Brian Dayball is doing with the giants. You know, that team's roster really isn't that good. He hasn't even had time to, to, you know, sort of flush out the players that he doesn't want and bring in guys that kind of match what he wants to do. He had to take these, this group of players that he has a quarterback that no one believed in, and sort of mold them and fix them and coach them in a way that kind of accentuates the things that they do well. It's something Belichick's been doing forever. But, I mean, to, to watch Brian Dayball do it, and I obviously, I mean, as a Pats fan, I'm not a big Giants guy, but you kind of have to tip your cap to teams like that, don't you? You know, and it's just the, the massive coaching advantage we see as Patriot fans week in, week out that other teams don't see. And then again, to just kind of bring it home to what this, this podcast is all about. And then to have media that's covered this for 20 something years that either don't know what they're watching or ignore what they're watching and never acknowledge how great this is. It, it just, you know, it's, it's really mind boggling, but this year you're right. It does show up more than ever. Yeah. The coaching is so crazy. So um, and I'm moving on to, uh, to our guy, uh, Ben Vaughn, who emailed us. Uh, it, the the guys at Entitled Town already covered everything that 
involved him and the messiness with the DMs and everything involved on their pod, if you haven't listened to it. But I want to talk specifically with you guys about the NBC Takes Boston clip. And I know they played it on Entitletown, but I want to really talk about this clip in particular and just how ridiculous it is. And so we're kind of going to do our, our our kind of MST3K thing with this because it's absolutely unbelievable. Just this clip, just this clip alone. And this was really the clip that started the ball rolling for all these uh, beat writers to come at him and just correct the record because it's so much bullshit in it that it had to be like you couldn't you could not correct it because it's so much bullshit. So. If in case you haven't heard it, here it is again. Making the Pro Bowl and making the NFL Top 100 worst thing to happen to Mac Jones last year because because he, he didn't, it, it was a, a sign that he made it, you know, and, and he's becoming a star and he's doing the gritty and everyone's eating it up on social media. Sorry, Mac Jones, you're a rookie. Uh, your team, you know, had wanted nothing to do with you in that windy game against Buffalo. The team fell apart at the end of last year. I'm telling you, making the Pro Bowl, I think, pumped his head up a lot. Uh, gave him an impression that he's a lot more than what he really was. So I think it was a bad, bad deal for Max. So wait a minute. Now, now we got a couple of things going on here. I, look, I, I don't dispute that the coaching staff that there's, he, he sees the coaching staff and he's not excited about it. He loved, he really bonded with Josh McDaniels last year, and now McDaniels is gone. But you're saying he's an egomaniac? I think it it uh, certainly inflated the ego. Mm. Absolutely. Alabama kid, he comes in, he makes the playoffs. Everyone's talking about he's better than Trevor Lawrence. And, oh, he's making the Pro Bowl now. Everyone's loving him up. The kid needs to be humbled. And I think that's a good thing for him right now. The kid needed to be humbled. And, first of all, he's better than Trevor Lawrence. I mean, if you look at today's game, even in particular, I mean, he's better than Trevor Lawrence. And then... The, the notion that the notion that because he makes the Pro Bowl, that means his ego has gotten bigger. That means that he his head has, has become inflated. Don't you think he knows that? Don't you think he knows that he wasn't chosen for the Pro Bowl? He knows that he was an alternate. So of course I'm gonna if I'm chosen as an alternate to go to a to get a free trip to the Pro Bowl, damn right I'm gonna gritty. Damn right I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I'm gonna put on a show for the fans because I'm there you know, on a whim. So it's it's unbelievable. He's insinuating that Matt Jones has zero social skills and zero um, human characteristics of him to even acknowledge his situations. It's it's so it's so egregious. And yeah, if, I would say the media as a whole, Boston as sports media as a whole, they had to surround the pack, if you will, and correct this. Because if they didn't, this and this was allowed to to wallow in the sun. This it's unbelievable. But what do you guys think? I would say that the thing that if you're listening to this and you haven't actually watched that clip before, the biggest telltale sign is when. Uh, Mike Felger and, and Holly say, why? Why do you believe he's he's got an inflated ego? And he immediately panics and he's almost like, oh, I didn't think they were going to ask that question. And he like starts listing off all these reasons in his head why he thinks that's happening. And to your point, Shaq, like, yeah, I want to see him gritty. I want to, it's the Pro Bowl. Like people have been, this this media outlet for so long was all about 
oh, you don't have any players making the Pro Bowls. But when we do have players make the Pro Bowls, they water it down and say, oh, well, it's just a it's a popularity contest. It's just it doesn't mean anything. Um, the game doesn't mean anything. We know that watching it. So what does it matter if he does the gritty? <laughs> like he's just having fun. And that and that's what we were saying in the chat, too, is just this Pats team is fun to watch because it's young, talented. They're they're tough and you can never count them out. Resilience, has, I think, has been their theme since the beginning of last season. Um, but the other thing with with this whole Volan report is this this was peak Volan. And, and like, you know, it's, it's not hard to observe. It's like he's all about saying things with no facts. He's all about getting a reaction, getting engagement. And this was peak Volan. Like he had no substance to that to this. And then, of course, he he goes on WEI the next day. And he doubles down and then says he has the DM and that whole thing. But it's like he wanted it to be true so bad that he believed it. Like anything that was sent to him, it was just, you know, enforcing the lie. And he he, he went crazy with it. He ran with it. And he finally got caught. And I, it, it's that's the sad thing with our media, too, is it has to get to that point where it, it's just the fans just know you're lying. And they call you out and all these things get happening. And the kid actually shows a screenshot of the chat. And then they finally will back it. So I'm not going to let them off that easy. Yes, it was a circling of the wagons of, of the vocation, if you will, of the, the local, uh, whatever you want to fucking call it, the, the local, uh, um, you know, how like tradesmen have their, their local whatever, like local 37 union that yep. sort of thing it's like this is this is like the same thing as like the local media brigade but it took like catching him red-handed basically to really get everyone to to double down on what he was doing was bad and yeah and they're they're complicit they're they're complicit like they did just this one instance of them of them pounding on him doesn't the two guys it doesn't excuse all the other all the other times where the two guys hosting the show it. with him have every have all the power in the world to shoot that down. If that was a well-respected host in any other sports city, they would have taken that moment to say bullshit and shot it down. So there's no need for this. But of course, in our media outlet, they're just like, why? And then when he tells you, they just laugh. And oh, it's no. not, yeah. It, it, it's not just laugh. Michael it's Holly, enable. it's Michael Holly there says right after. I don't dispute that he's unhappy about the coaching staff with no evidence of it. Yeah. With no evidence of what he's saying. He's just there floating along and he's skating on this. People are like, well, Holly looked like he might have been wanting to like dispute. No, bullshit. Bullshit. And he it, decided to go into business for himself. And there wasn't one report to your point, Bill, up to it, I mean, until Ben made this thing up. That Mac has ever had, uh, he didn't have a good work ethic. That he he, he's he was selected. The, he was selected as a fucking captain. Yeah, on he's the a team. captain, but he's always the first one in, last one out. He everyone just talks about his work ethic, and everyone said it, they made up this conversation in their heads that Mac started questioning everything. One of the best things about a smart person is they're going to question things. And it doesn't mean that's a negative. You're, you're spinning it into a negative just because, why is Matt Patricia? Do you think Mac Jones actually walked in and said, why is Matt Patricia my offensive coordinator? Do you think he's actually saying <laughs> that? He's, no. Do you think he's actually asking that? Because he knows it's, the business of football. 
<laughs> what, what is he doing here? Do you think it's like, like that's it's how like he's... going? It's like going into uh, your school. It's like, why are you my teacher? <laughs> did you see what he did to the lions? That's probably what he screamed in the yes, at the first meeting. These the thing is, the, most of these football players, outside of like a few examples of of people who have real ego problems, um, they know these guys grew up in the business of football. Um, and I have friends that are still they're, they're college coaches. And I was just having this discussion about this is, is do people realize that when you come up as a coach, you're everywhere. You're not just learning offense. You're learning defense. You're learning specialty. You're learning everything, anything that can get you to the next level. And you got to know it all. So like for Matt Patricia, who was also a former offensive lineman, he knew offense go, going in. And, and to that point, Josh McDaniels didn't know offense that well for a while. He was an assistant for a long time. He finally went to the offensive side and that, that's how it got ramped up. But like, that's the thing is like, people don't realize about this coaching. And um, I think like, it's so easy to, to take one aspect of questioning and turn it into this attitude problem. Like he's a te- like, he just became a teenager and he just grew some hair on his balls. Like, he's just like, ah, wow. I know it's my second year, but I'm, I'm the best. Like, why am I getting Matt Patricia? Like, n- he never said that. He you know what I think? I think that what they mean by questioning, they, they're trying to say that he's yelling at them and saying, what's going on? What, like, like, almost like a Tom or Brady he's resisting. type of thing. He's like, yeah, or he's yeah. resisting. Just like Tom Brady in 2019 is what they're trying to say. It's like, do you really think yeah. a guy who's so happy to be here for the opportunity is suddenly like, I don't want to do this because I, I don't know what you're doing. There's no way this happened. Dan, this is exactly what we talked about. Um, again, like we were ahead of the curve on this. We're the ones who called out Michael Holly when Michael Holly jumped on Curran's when Curran had that on his podcast where he was calling Mac Jones a whiny teenager yeah. and saying that he was like, you know, he's been this this headache and you know, watching Zappy succeed is humbly like Michael Holly is the one who started this without a shred of evidence without a single source on this at all. We called him out on it a couple of weeks ago, if you guys recall that. I mean, that's just, he was basically, that's what he called him. He said he's a whiny teenager slamming doors and kicking rocks. And all, when all the evidence we've seen is to the contrary of that. And it just, it underscores this whole Volan issue, what Holly's doing. It underscores what the, the Patriots media does. I was going to say, Rob, to that point, you almost have me thinking now, I almost wonder if Mike Holly gave Ben Bowen this idea. It, it very well could have been. That's the thing. That's what they do. They they create these. In the, what they wanted was that they create the ending they want, and then they reverse engineer it back until they can somehow find a way to make it sound legitimate. That's how they Cause operate. Because to, to Mike Holly, he's like, I just created our next hot segment for next week. If I right. can give some idiot, <laughs> if I can send some idiot errand boy to go do this and, and figure it out. If I can give right. one and, layer to this. <laughs> it's the argument is f- the the reason we notice it is because the arguments that they build are flawed because it's built on the insecurities they have about them themselves and their profession. Michael Holly, Ben Volin, Michael Felder, at all would be would be concerned by somebody daring to ask questions because it challenges them. Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick are not. They want smart people asking questions, and that's where this big that's where this begins to fall apart. Um, Rob, I'll kick it back to you. I know you were in the flow. I don't mean to derail, but that's like the extra <laughs> layer that I'm seeing here. No, I was just going to say that the uh, when I was talking about them reverse engineering back, what they really want and what they all wanted was a quarterback controversy. 
whether it existed or not, whether Mac Jones was in, in any point in danger of losing his job or not, which I don't believe he was, but that's what they wanted because that's what they believe will drive ratings. And so they've started it. Volan wanted it, wanted it, wanted it so bad that he was willing to believe some stoolie who just dove into his DMs and made something up. But, you know, I mean, at least give you when Borges got caught with doing the same thing, at least Ron Borges thought he was talking to Don Yee. You know, he actually believed that was Don Yee who was communicating to him. Volan had no idea who this guy was, and he just ran with it, which begs the question, how many other times has he done this? Either completely pulled something out of his ass or had a, a, a total nonsensical DM that drove him to start reporting things. If the Boston Globe had a shred of credibility, which they do not, they would yank every single story he's ever written, check all of his sources and anything that says anonymous, unnamed, source said, anything that says anything like that, you pull him in the office and you, you find out who he's talking about. And if he can't produce the name of that person, if he can't remember any of that sort of stuff, he's fired. That's how journalism works. I worked in the field long enough to know that's how that field works. You can't, what he's done is he has completely set fire to their entire newsroom, not just their sports department, their entire newsroom, which was already a burning pile of trash anyway, after the Kevin Cullen thing and after all the, the Mike Barnacles of the world. But you, when you go on and you do things like that, it, I mean, it's just absurd. It just, it, honestly, it validates everything we do and all the things that we've thought that, you know, people go out there and they think we're tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists. We're not, you know, they've been doing this shit and getting away with it forever. And there's only one person who could put a stop to it. And that's Stacey James and the PR team at the New England Patriots. And they can put a stop to it by uh, starting. To I was just about to say that. I they was need to just about to say that. Ron. It's it's almost it's almost criminal that that they're allowed to do this. And Stacey James and the Patriots PR department, they have the power to take these guys' credentials away, to take these, to, 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 to shut down, they can shut down NBC Takes One if they want to. They can shut down all these shows and all these people and say, get your act together or, you know, we're not going to broadcast on your station anymore. We're not going to do this anymore. But unfortunately, they signed a contract with 98.5. So I, for, for an, an, you know, an invisible amount of years. So I don't know how, how much longer they have. But it seems like, almost seems as though they're content with having with with all these narratives be flying around and it's almost like well it doesn't really matter and it's up and it shouldn't but it shouldn't really be up to us the fans it shouldn't be up to us it should it should already be automatic to say if you're denigrating a player if you are an, uh, assassinating uh, uh, our, one of our star players' character then that's it that should be strike one two and three it should. That should be in the contract. If it's not, then shame on the Patriots. Or maybe they didn't think they would ever have to go down this road, but it's Boston. They've been doing it for years. That should be in the contract. It should be in the contract. And it's sad that like they have to pick between, you know, it's the old South Park, you know, election episode, giant douche or turd sandwich. It's in EEI or 98.5. It's, you know, it's the you know, the Globe or the Herald. It's uh, There's no good media in Boston. So I almost don't put it, believe that. Put, 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 this, put the simulcast on, you know, jamming 94.5. Right. Know, uh, on something oh, that... <laughs> complete, completely agree with the rights on, on the game. Give it, you know, you know? That, that's why it was at the Rock Radio Network for so long. Give it to another music station like i have no problem with that but it, it, i mean we can blame 
we can blame Stacey James. We can, at the end of the day, part of it is that John Henry and the operation he is in charge of with the globe wants a organization that he, where he has a willing stooge to participate in whatever bullshit smear campaigns he wants to put together to make the Patriots look bad and to deflect attention away from when there's a disappointing season or he won't pay his people or he increases season ticket prices or he increases concession prices after a terrible year. Just it's all, you know, it's, you know, state run Red Sox media. And it's, you know, as somebody who, who, you know, grew up loving the Red Sox, continue to love the Red Sox. It is harder and harder to root for the Red Sox when I know what's going on behind the scenes, when it's like a war for attention, where it seems like the thing we're being critical about here with Stacey James and with the with the news networks and what have you, is the stuff where they're trying to take the high road where you'd almost want that. And like, really, the hammer should come down on the integrity level at these organizations, EEI, 98.5, Hot Takes Boston, Globe, Herald, whatever. And it's just not because they're not running honest operations. They're not choosing to do that. They want Volan in the news cycle. They want Volan to be first. They don't care if he's right. They don't care if he has to issue an apology. They don't care if, you know, they don't care about, you know, if they want need to give him a week-long shadow ban or if they need to, you know, sort of slow down his production on stuff to sort of keep him out of the eye for a week or two. They want him to be the willful stooge, and when they need a smear, he's ready to deliver. And that's what he's paid the absolutely mediocre bucks for. And before I just kick it back to you, Shaq, I, I, on the mothership, they asked a very important question. And I want to make sure I provide what my answer would have been. They asked the question about if Bedard and Volan were in a room and you had a gun with one bullet in the chamber and you condoned violence, which we do not on this podcast. What would you, who would you shoot? The answer is pretty simple. I would shoot Volan and then I would take his little, you know, I would take his little pube fro and I would choke Bedard to death with it. That would be the, the course of action. If we condoned violence on this podcast, which we do not. This is a family podcast, obviously. We do not condone violence in this very hypothetical situation. Yes, this is a family-friendly podcast with an explicit rating on iTunes. Ab- absolutely. So- <laughs> oh, well, so- well, actually, my answer on that is I, I would actually use one bullet and I would shoot it up uh, Ben's butt. It would actually go through both of them because they're in a human centipede. And then... I would use the last bullet to kill uh, Mike Felger. So it, it, it depends on how effective Awaken, you know, 720 has been for them, if it's actually going to make it through. So it, it's a risky operation there, Dan, but I, I, I like the thought. When you're in the human centipede, though, <laughs> it's, just, it's fair, but there's still, there's still <laughs> body, to, there's still some pieces to move through there. <laughs> Good God. Fucker. Right, <laughs> well, I, well, I have some quick hits for you guys before I get to the next uh, big topic. Um, the, and these are quick hits because, you know, we could just slap these people and then move on. Uh, in, in the midst of all, all of the mess with Ben Volan, you know, obviously there was your 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 BJ Beans and, you know, your Megan Ottolini's and all, you know, all the all the idiots who wanted their 10 cents to be heard. But one of the worst, I would say, is this motherfucker, Nick Cattles. He was probably the worst out of this entire thing. 
because he comes out of his space saying, well, there's two tweets that I want to talk about. The first one is, what we shouldn't do, discredit legit journalists when one of them is incredible. Let's not throw out the entire profession because of because of the minority not doing the job correctly. <laughs> I, I find that truly hilarious when this guy is the guy who chooses to work with Greg Bedard every week. Greg fucking Bedard. That's who well, you choose. Well, Shaq. You're, you're bringing up, I think, the theme we're starting to create, which is complacency, compliant, you know, people are complying with this enablement, whatever you want to call it, you know, egging people on to do things like that whole local union, as I put it, of the media members all support the bullshit until they get pressed all the way to the brink by someone. And I want to say it was finally Stacy. I want to say it was maybe just someone from the Patriots in general um, that rallied them, sent a message out that said, if you stand for this bullshit, you can, you can expect the worst when you do this type of thing. Um, Something like that. I think they all just, you know, felt compelled to, it's not an exaggeration. It was every media member, almost every single media member, even Ben Bowen's own peer at the paper wrote, an article arguing against his cohort saying it's bullshit. It's that just lets you know that someone saw what everyone was saying and said, that's how bad it was. They, they must've been like, guys, we got a mess on our hands and it's people actually heard something on WEI. That that's, that's how bad the situation is when we get upset about something on WEI because no one hears it. It's like, does it, <laughs> Is anyone around to, to hear a tree fall in the woods? If you know that sort of thing, it, it's like, does anyone actually listen to WEI? And yeah. the fact is, the internet is what led us to see that, but still, like, that's how bad it was. I, yeah, this is Sacramento Cattles doesn't believe what he's saying. He doesn't. What he's trying to do is he's desperately trying to get back into the Boston market and agreeing with every other reporter and every other personality out there ain't going to do it. So, what's going to do it? Somebody's going to interview him. Oh, why do you agree with what Ben did? Why do you stand? But why do you stand by? Oh, why? Why are you giving all the support? You know, it, it even it it's it's a contrarian opinion to try to weasel his way back into the Boston market because he's been exiled to Sacramento because he's not very good, and to not be good in the Boston market and just like while being contrarian is a really impressive feat to accomplish because they seem to love that and who they hire and he's a patsy which felger seems to love so you'd think that he would have made it to you know nbc hot takes boston or you know sports final 2.0 double jeopardy with michael felger at 11:45 at night on sundays it, it's you'd think he would have landed on one of the 17 different things that like felger or someone else who enjoys a good patsy does um and so he that's why he's pulling this it's it's all a fabrication of a take. He probably doesn't even know what Ben said. He probably didn't follow up that much. He's just seeing all the media response and he's like, I'm going to do the opposite. And yeah. that will get me attention. And I think, Bill, to your point, like, I think Nick Cattles, if anyone actually knows who he is, which is the point, it's like, he's, <laughs> exactly. he's, a, he's, he's like, you know, He's a barnacle on the ship. He's like not even, he's not a real sea animal. He's not, he's, 
he's just he's just halfway there. He 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 just is at the bottom. He just doesn't even know what he is to himself. But this was his chance to just latch on to interaction, to engagement. And this is it's funny because it's almost like just you know, cyclical because it's like this was what Ben Volan did for so long. It's like no one paid attention to Ben Volan. So he would use that's how this whole all started. It's like, are we watching? Is this Nick Cattle's Joker moment? Is he becoming <laughs> Ben Volan by scratching for for interaction? But the the thing too is is you know, and Shaq pointed this out. You run with with Greg Bedard. You have no right to talk about. Don't treat all media members this way. It's like the problem is is like there's no checks and balances. And the, and the ones that are checks and balances to us are all the guys that everyone says, well, they're a homer, like your Matt Chathams, uh, your Bruce Allens, you know, your, your media members that actually give a shit basically about both their job and what they say and how it rings around uh, the Pats nation or whatever. But still, like, this is another point that just because someone could, I saw someone in the comments say, Nick, Nick is a good guy though. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's just cause you're a good guy. This is when you can realize you're a shit bag is that you're enabling what's going right. on around well, you. Jeffrey Dahmer was a good guy too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 what, what it comes down to is the fact that it ignores the concept that if you live, if you work and exist in a structure that allows for people to abuse their position as Ben Volan did, what it does is it, 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 it tries to deflect from the fact that, the system should change. I don't give a fuck if there are good reporters and bad reporters. I just don't. If there are good reporters and bad reporters that exist in a bad system, I want to change the system. Whatever's going on right now isn't working. It's not allowing people to be successful at the job and hold integrity and do what they're supposed to do. Something has changed over the past 20, 30 years, and it's absolutely insane to think that we're at the position that we're at now. And it's foolish for people to say, well, there's good media members too. Again, that doesn't mean that it's okay that there's bad ones. And that doesn't mean it's okay that the system allows for there to be bad ones who do shitty reporting. And Volan did. He got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. He did shitty reporting as have several other people over the last 20 plus years. So what we need to do is look at it and go, what are the changes that need to be implemented? And Rob, you would probably know better than anybody. What are the changes that need to be implemented or what basics do they need to get back to in order to be successful reporters, be able to instill their knowledge and opinions? I'm okay with opinions, but do it in a way that maintains the integrity and allows for the good guys to be successful and for the bad guys to be weeded out before they're at this point where they're multiple time offenders like Volan is. I, and Rob, before you start, I, I have a I have something to 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 show. Is is I don't know if people know who Dakota Randall is, and I hate to mention his name, but basically he's he's on the up 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 and up of very young guys in the Boston. Oh yeah, media he's scene. Uh, he's he's one of those nesting aggregators who who say right. nothing. So so I just want to give this point is that I think it was two years ago with Cam Newton, he was I'm gonna say famous for. But his one shining moment was when he wrote an article about the video clip of Cam Newton dancing at practice. And he said, Julian Edelman does not like this guy and he does not approve of of dancing just based on a video clip where we don't get that impression whatsoever. And he made up this whole thing. And then people called him out 
and he he apologized for it. I think he took it down. And that just goes to show how bad the Boston media is, is we are seeing someone in a senior NFL writer position act the same as someone that's 22, 23, trying to break into the business desperate. That, that's how bad it is. And I think for Rob, what I want to ask you too, on top of what Bill just said, is I know you come from, a, you're at a media market right now where you don't see this. <laughs> so I also ask, like, is could you ever imagine the things that are being said right now and also people supporting it in, in your media market? Well, I hear um, they can be negative, but they need an actual reason to be negative. You know, like, as far even in preseason when nobody expects much of you know on in a year when no one expects much from the eagles for example if the media was jumping down the throats of the eagles and there were callers that were calling into the radio station and the radio guys were you know were just slamming the eagles before the season even started i don't think the fans would tolerate it i I think the fans would go absolutely bananas you know they are fiercely supportive of their teams until the teams give them a reason to not be fiercely supportive. And then once they turn on you, i.e. Jalen Rager, the their top draft pick from a couple of years ago who completely flamed out. I think they want to trading him to the Vikings. But uh, uh, they will back you. They will support you. They will do all of the, the things that fans are supposed to do until you give them a reason. Then once they turn on you, all bets are off. But to me, that's sports. That's sports fandom. That's how it's supposed to work. It's completely ass backwards in New England. And um, Bill, you, you know, you asked what needs to change. I think it's really simple. I think there just needs to be some accountability. There's no accountability. That's what allows these people to do, to do what they do, to behave the way they behave. And I don't think it's even a, a question of good ones and bad ones. I think it's smart ones and not smart ones. And the smart ones are the ones who know full well that they're actively and routinely disseminating misinformation and they don't care. They don't care. They're the ones who create these narratives with no sourcing, with, you know, no fact base to them whatsoever. And no one is holding them accountable for it. The Patriots and Stacey James aren't holding them accountable for it. Their media outlets aren't holding them accountable for it. Their bosses aren't holding them accountable for it. So why wouldn't they do it? These are the Albert Breers, the Greg Bedards, the Mark Daniels, you know, to a certain degree, the Ben Volans. Ben Volans probably the lowest IQ of this group, but he's still in that group. I mean, look what Ben Volan just did. No accountability. Why would he care? He doesn't care what we think. He's going to have his job. He's going to get paid. He's going to be back on the EEI airwaves. He'll be back on NBC Takes Boston, you know, and then there's the other group. To me, then there's group two, who are the ones who are just, really not smart people. They're just not bright people. They don't even realize that they're either actively disseminating misinformation and unsourced information they're, or enabling, in Nick Cattle's case, the misinformation to be disseminated by the likes of the Greg Bedards of the world. They think they're doing their job. They think they're doing their job correctly. They're not smart enough to even know that they're not doing the job correctly. And these are the Nick Cattles of the world, the Megan Ottolini's of the world, you know, these types of people. And until somebody that can actually, you know, that that has some sort of leverage over these people can hold them accountable, 
I don't see it changing. Why would it change? Why, you know, they're all getting paid. They're all getting the notoriety that they so desperately seek. So until someone or something holds them accountable, I mean, you know, I, I think we do all we can do as fans. We've had enough and we volunteer our time to jump on a podcast every week and point these things out. We pointed out Michael Holly a couple of weeks ago. And it turned out to be, you know, prophetic in a way because everything Michael Holly did that we called out is, in essence, exactly what Ben Volan did, you know. And we we've been calling these people out on this for, you know, the guys on the mothership have been doing it for what two or three years now, <laughs> you know. And it's really, I mean, as as far as fans go, we're doing all we can do to hold them accountable. But until the Stacey James of the world and until the Boston Globes and the EEIs and the ninety eight fives and the NBC Sports Boston you know, gives their newsrooms, you know, uh, essentially a colonoscopy and gets every washes everybody out of there, gets some new blood in there, gets some new leadership in there that actually cares about disseminating factual information and getting back to a, just a, some semblance of journalistic integrity. This is what we're going to be saddled with. So, I mean, at least it gives us fodder every week. <laughs> you know, that's probably the only bright side to it, I think. This podcast is like like any good nonprofit. You're hoping to put yourself out of business. You you hope that this eventually can stop because the problem goes away. But the fact that there is a just a plethora, we're like we can't get to everything in a single episode. Tells us everything that we need to know about where it is right now. I don't see us being out of business and at any point in the near future. Um, but you know, the goal would always be for that to be, you know, for this to sort of be an obsolete thing where the media covers with some sort of, you know, integrity and honesty as they move through. And I want to read the other uh, Cattle's tweet, which is unbelievable. It says. I'm not paid to be a fan. I almost feel like uh, playing the national anthem under this tweet because it's so unbelievably hardo. But it says, I'm not paid to be a fan. I'm paid to give you the truth. Truth supported by numbers, quotes, reports, and context. I'm also paid to give you opinion. When the team's good, I'll give them credit. When they're not, I'll pull no punches. Don't like it? Cool. Find someone else. I mean... The self-importance here is unreal to me. It's all, it's 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 almost like he's like you're you're not Edward R. Murrow, okay? You're not you're not any of these people who've actually made a difference in in history, okay? You're you're a radio host, if, if I can even call you that, because you're an AM. He's paid. People <laughs> give him money. Come on, <laughs> that that that's gotta be he's gotta be pulling our leg there. This is yeah. exactly what I was talking about, though. He's he's so dumb, he doesn't realize what he's doing. Like, he thinks he knows what he's doing, but he doesn't really know. And yet, and so he has the that sort of irrational confidence to put a tweet out like that. <laughs> you know? like, that's the, it's absurd. It's the teacher everyone hates. It's, I'm not here to teach you what, what you want to learn. I'm here to teach you what you need to learn. And then they go ahead and teach you exactly what any other teacher would have taught you throughout the year, but act like they deserve a medal. It, and that's, you know, it, it's it's the te- it, it's the self-important factor that goes on with the media. And there's, you know, plenty of media that actually do the job well, just like there's plenty of, you know, teachers that do the job exceptionally well and don't follow that ma- model. But it's, you know, the good for every good teacher and every Mike Reese, there is a teacher that does exactly what Nick Cattles is doing right now and plays the 
I'm here to do my job and I'm here, you you know, like doesn't want feedback. If you're not doing well in my class, it's because you're doing something wrong. You need to follow my instructions. And it's like, well, well, talk, talk to me. Like there's, there's probably something going on that you're not addressing on my end and there should be dialogue and back and forth with your audience, whether that's a classroom or whether that's a group of people in that are reading your material or listening to you on the radio, or whether that's a group of people that you're working with at any organization. It's just so stupid to be like, I do what I do well, and that's it. It's just, it's this self-important bullshit. And it's, and it's amazing somebody with the mundane, basic journey that Nick Cattles has had is so self-important at this stage in their career. It's hysterical to me. I, I belly laughed at that tweet because it, it's just the self-importance through the roof, the egomaniacal bullshit that goes on with some of this media amuses me to no end before I get pissed off about it. The, well, the other thing that I think Nick is saying that I don't think he realizes is I don't want to know the opinion of anybody that didn't actually play the sport or work in the sport. I, I don't care. Like that, this is like me going to my dad for an opinion or like a friend. It's like, what do you think about this? And he's like, they suck. That's like the, that's what our media sounds like right now. It's like, I don't need you to say that to me because that's your opinion, but I'd like to hear it from, Oh, like a Matt Chatham, because it's like you played, you were on the teams, you won championships. You know what you're talking about versus Ben Volan, who I don't even know, like, the biggest sport he's ever played was probably like four square. Maybe. I mean, like that, that's probably it. Like the guy looks like he, he wears like high knee socks and like a, a private school outfit every day. Um, but, but like the fact that, like you said it, Rob, it's like self-entitled too, is like these guys think like they're self-important, they're self-entitled, like that we really need to know. Phil Perry is a great example of this. His recent, clip uh getting into an argument with matt castle about how they're using the receivers downfield how they're are they forcing the ball downfield and matt castle is like giving you the breakdown of real football terminology what's actually happening and then all of a sudden phil phil perry's just like no 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 like don't play the you play football card like like that's yeah you can't you can't play that card because he he was on a team. He started NFL games. He went a whole season with a winning record with Tom Brady being gone. If that was any other year, they would have made the playoffs. Like that was like the only year in the universe that that ever happened. But like to think you know more than a former NFL quarterback is fucking crazy. And the only one that I would say you have even a right to argue against is Scott Zolak because that's for different reasons. But to think that you know more than Matt Castle is fucking crazy. And to Nick Cattles, it's it's more like the fact that you think your opinion is important is just fucking crazy. And like to, to Bill's point, you're at the fucking, you're not even at the bottom of the barrel. Are you even in the barrel? Like, I don't even know. Like you, you're just like so far out in the bubble. It, it, it's one of those things like, do I really care? No, I don't care about you. I don't even care about the opinions of a lot of people that have been in the business for years, like Tommy Curran, don't give a shit about his opinion. I don't give a shit about Shaughnessy. I don't give like all these guys who think, oh, I've been in the business for like 30, 40 years. I don't give a shit. You still don't know 
even covering the sport for that long, you don't know a, like a tenth of what these guys know. Like to, to even think you know that even 50% of that is fucking crazy to me. So yeah, just that's the thing I always can't get away from with media is like, at least Mike Reese appreciates and respects the sport, the people, what that all takes. None of these other guys do. And they almost think like, oh, I've been covering it for two years. I know everything that they know. It's like, no, you don't. You don't. Like, it's like the Evan Lazar. It's like, you think you know all this stuff because you've watched film. You, don't, you still don't know shit. Like, I could, like, we all can sit on our couch and point out shit. It's so easy, but you have no idea the the level of detail that goes into all this shit. And just, this is the cream of the crop. Everyone's the best. Like to, to even think like you could make a college team, like the like even a D three team, D two, like to think that you could make that team so easily. Like just I, I this is what I can't stand. It's like the Madden generation. It's all that. It's just thinking like it's all so easy. It's really not. And like the media is just proving it even more. Is like look look at all the probably the Super Bowl contenders they all picked before this the season started. They're probably wrong on almost all of that at this point, other than like saying like the bills. Cause I think that was like the easy answer bills and the chiefs, but otherwise like no one knows what they're talking about. Cause these guys don't, they weren't in the sport. So like, I, that, that's what I can't stand is the whole, like, you want it. I get paid to, to give my opinions. Like you do by your employer, but no one cares about it. it it's the, it's like any field you should want to become better and you become better by listening and learning and growing alongside people, even if they're less veteran than you, if they're junior to you, if they've come from a different background or experience, like this whole, like, I am the expert, you will listen to me thing that media has going on is asinine, especially when they've got people coming in who have played the game and then act like they know as much or more than the people coming in from having played the game do. It's, the, it's asinine. The reason Mike Reese is so good is because Mike Reese genuinely wants to learn every time he goes. He talks to people. and want, It's not about, like, I want to break a story. It's not about, I want to craft something that meets my opinion. It's, I want to learn what happened, and that will make me better. And typically, when he infers, based on his past experience, because he's been learning, he's generally correct. Because he's taken the time to listen to people who are expert in the field and continues to. Cattles is showing a clear indication that he has no interest in being better. And there's plenty of them in our market right now. Volan, not trying to be better. Tommy Curran, not trying to be better. Absolutely insane. It's, it's foolish. Yeah, they're trying to be entertainers more than, uh, and heels more than actually wanting to learn and actually wanting to report to the people who us, the people who are actually reading their stuff. Exactly. Um, so let's get to uh, the matchup because we haven't even talked football. And I want to do that because it, Monday night, it's the Bears. Um, look, the Patriots are starting to roll. Um, I, can they keep it up? I mean, this is a game they can and should win. Um, whoever starts at quarterback as of this taping um, almost at almost eight on Sunday um, it's leaning towards Mac Jones. Obviously it's a game time decision. We'll find out, but it's leaning towards Mac. Um, also do some of the injured guys come back like Jonathan Jones, Uche and Aguilar. 
and other and the other guys that were banged up uh, on Sunday on last week, like uh, Christian Barmore and Kendrick Bourne, do they come back? It's got that Kendrick Bourne looking maybe not because of the turf toe, but obviously we've been getting great contributions from the rookies and the younger players. I mean, they're five they're five hundred looking to go to four and three in a league where a lot of parity and not a lot of great teams overall. And I mean, what do you guys think? Does anybody on the Bears scare you? Does does old friend Nikhil Harry score touchdown? I mean, what do what do you guys think? Uh, I would say no one on the Bears. I I say this reluctantly too, but nobody on the Bears really scares me. Um, I, you know, obviously, if today proved anything, you know, the whole any given Sunday theory and this, that, and the other. But again, going back to the coaching discussion we had, this is where you know, having a coach like Belichick, he typically doesn't get surprised by, you know, his team coming out flat against a subpar opponent. Just the way that he gushes about, you know, the, and no matter who they're playing, um, stories coming out from like the Teddy Brewskis and the Rodney Harrisons, where they would be going into a week against a team that was, you know, one in 15 and Belichick, by the end of the week, Belichick had them thinking that this was going to be like, you know, the clash of the Titans, so to speak, you know. So I think he'll have them ready like he always does. But I am really looking forward to an end to the quarterback controversy nonsense. I'm looking forward to Mac Jones taking the field again. I'm looking forward to seeing Mac Jones and Tyquan Thornton on the field again together, which is something we were, we were all talking about looking forward to seeing. And then Thornton got hurt. Then Mac got hurt. And, what you know, the thought of Mac Jones chucking up deep shots to Tyquan Thornton, who, um, to his credit, again, not a vouch, because we don't vouch on this show, but um, Evan Lazar has put up some pretty cool videos um, from the All-22 that show how wide open Tyquan Thornton has been getting off the line of scrimmage uh, with his footwork and just burning DBs right off the shoot, and then his speed comes into play. And he just, for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, Zappi's been under pressure or you know, just didn't look that way, this, that, and the other. But I have a feeling Mac Jones is not going to miss him. I think if Tyquan Thornton gets those releases off the line of scrimmage and he's wide open down the field, I think we're going to see a show. And, you know, I love to see them be at full strength, but even if Kendrick Bourne can't go, I think they have a very deep receiving core, so I think they're going to be fine. It's nice to see the tight ends coming back around. I think this whole team, defensively, they're playing, in my opinion, as well as any defense in the NFL right now, I think this team is rounding into form like we all, you know, thought they would. They always get off to a little bit of a slow start. I prefer two and two to one and three, but I think they're rounding into form at the right time. And I think they're hitting this sort of, um, you know, kind of soft spot in their schedule where, you know, we get the Bears, we get the Jets twice, we get the Colts, we get all these teams that we should be able to handle if we're playing, if our team is playing you know, to the level that that it looks like they're going to play to and it looks like they're rounding into. So if they go on a little bit of a run here, um, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. But as far as the Bears tomorrow night, um, I, I see this probably being a route is kind of how I see it. I hope I'm not jinxing them, but <laughs> I think this is going to be an ass beating. I mean, I. You know, I always sort of chalk it up to like what what are the likely out what's the most likely outcome in terms of type of game. And I think Patriots win big, Patriots win close, Bears win close, 
bears win big is sort of the order with the likelihood of the Pats winning big being clear. The bears have scored 12 points or under in half of their games this year. They've allowed 19 points per game on their defense. Their defense is a strength. The big key as you know, and, and this is not rocket science. It's the captain obvious take. Don't turn the ball over in plus territory for the bears. Do not hand them free point opportunities. That's going to be the major key there. I don't think, you know, block Roquan Smith, like, you know, like take care of your assignments, but there's nobody that is like a terrifying player on, on the bears to deal with. There's not like a, you know, a monster play. You're not dealing with miles Garrett this week. Uh, You know, and on the offensive side, you're not dealing with Lamar Jackson this week. So there's, it's much more about being sound across the board and the fundamentals of the game and just don't turn the ball, like don't turn the ball over in bad situations and you'll be fine. Um, In terms of, you know, sort of what to watch for, I think obviously um, Mac coming back is going to be really important to that, you know, to the passing game and sort of developing the deeper roots. I think Rob, your point on Taekwon was great. Um, But I I also think it, 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 we don't want to get away from the things that went well while Zappy was playing if it's Mac this week. So don't just shelf the six offensive linemen set up and run the ball. Like that should be part of your offensive play game plan from here. That's, that's worked really well. Don't, you know, more of the play action, like build some of what worked and built the confidence of the offensive line, the offensive playmakers run that with Mac, but allow for there to be more of a root tree associated to it. Allow there to be some variations off of it and then mix in what you were doing with Mac in the first few weeks, trying to get the field to be more stretched. Like this is sort of an opportunity to allow them to have gotten back to some fundamentals and now they can build it out from there. And it's sort of, you know, I'm thinking of it like an accordion and Belichick probably thinks of it similarly in the preseason where it's like, we want a wide open book. We want to see what works and doesn't work and narrow our playbook as we go along. It sort of created a situation where they really needed to narrow it even more than they wanted to. And now they can expand out on what went well in weeks one through three added into what went well while Zappy was out and create a playbook that is a really effective one that the team feels confident in. Patricia has called three and you can, if you want to argue green Bay, I I will fight you on it. But um, all three of the games with Zappy have been excellent play calling games from Patricia. You can argue individual calls with any offensive coordinator in the league. Don't get into that with me. It's you can argue individual calls all the live long day about any OC, but he has largely called fantastic games with Zappy in. And that's not because he likes Zappy more. It's not a court. It's because the plays he was confident in what he was calling. He felt comfortable knowing what the success rate was. And he was assessing what the defense was going to do in response really well. And so, so let's build that out a little bit more with some of the stuff that worked well weeks one through three and create the playbook. That's going to make the most sense for the Patriots moving forward with Mac returning. And that's what I'm excited for. Cause this is also a really good opportunity for them to do that before they hit what, you know, the jets are a, going to be a tougher divisional opponent than they've been in recent years. I know um, the news broke while we've been recording that it looks likely Brees Hall has a ACL and is out for, you know, if he does, he's out for the year. Um, so that's obviously a big loss to the jets, but they're still, you know, they've still been playing better. They're what five and two. They're, yeah, they're playing. They're playing. Yeah, they're playing really well. They're playing good ball. So they're not. You know, that's a good opportunity. That's a good team. They're going to be playing on short rest. So let's see what we've got 
in the playbook this week. We can work some things, you know, against a team that they should beat in pretty handily. And then you get the opportunity to sort of utilize what you've worked on both through that and practice over the week to play a tough divisional game next Sunday. And what what I really about this whole Matt versus Zappy thing, which first of all, why is it a versus? Because I'm I, this whole experience, this whole three week experience, and I I almost saw the 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 emphasis the um the the start of it even before it was it was starting before the media started hyping it up. I was like, if there's going to, if, if, I swear, if these people start a, co- a competition between these two guys, it's unbelievable. There shouldn't be a competition. There, there shouldn't be because aren't we blessed as Patriots fans to have two options at quarterback that seem to be doing very, very well. But, but aside that, how I'm wondering how much of the offensive improvement the last two weeks is because the offense as a whole unit is gelling and finding their identity. I mean, the offensive line, number one, well, maybe besides Isaiah Wynn, but that's another story. Um, mostly, they've largely largely stabilized. And you have guys like Hunter Henry coming around, John o. Smith, uh, Devontae Parker, Tyquan Thornton. All these guys are starting to come in and being used in many different ways. Not saying that Zappi hasn't done well, but it's 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 a, it's I think the offense as a whole has pretty has done pretty well. So Dan, what do you think about this Bears matchup? So I mean, honestly, I, it's one of those games where I feel like it it should be a straightforward win for this team, and it could just be another wrinkle of the NFL being a parody right now is, is they give us a little bit more trouble than we'd expect uh, going into to Monday night. And maybe they, maybe they figure some things out. Like they, they have did some work on their game tape and they have a couple things that at least give them um, some chance to be in the game for the first half. And then maybe in the second half, that's where the Pats break it open. I kind of see that happening that way. It's going to be some tough ball maybe in the first half, but um I'm not also shocked if, if the Pats come out and they in their role, like in especially for Mac Jones, who this is a very typical trope is like, oh, this guy who's coming off injury, hearing like his job is threatened, he's he's gonna play out of his fucking mind, or he's got a little rust because he hasn't played for a little bit. So like if we see that, it's not crazy, but you know, knowing who we all have figured out Mac Jones to be is he's a tough guy that that, that wants to do well. So I think that this is going to be an opportunity to show up on primetime TV, coming off that injury, being out. And, and, you know, everyone said the zappy fever shit. Um, I think uh, the defense is going to show up for the Pats tomorrow. And I think the Chicago Bears defense is pretty decent. it's, It's been that way for the past few seasons. They're like 11th in points per game given up. Um, so I, I think they're formidable in a sense, but I think there's only so long that I think it'll take before the Pats break away in this game. And I think it's all going to be about mistakes. So the Pats themselves need to limit the turnovers. That's, that's the mantra that's going to happen every single game. But this is a game, especially like if you just do the simple things, you're going to win this game. But if, if you shoot yourself in the foot, the bears are going to be more in it than you want them to be. And they also have a decent running attack. So I think you have to give those things respect. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm just glad this game is on national televisions, you know, so so for people like me and Rob who don't live in the market, we're able to watch this game and and not be interrupted by anything. So that's pretty good for all of us. Um let's get to final thoughts now. Uh Rob, what, what do you have to say? Well, I'm going to jump sports here for a second. Um the these this year's baseball playoffs have been really really fun to watch. Uh, maybe that's because I live in the Philadelphia market and it's kind of cool to see, you know, a team that hasn't really done that well. I and I used to, I was going to a bunch of Phillies games earlier this year because it was a cheap ticket. and It was nice to go sit in the, the stands. You sit behind first base for 30 bucks, you know, and watch the game. But while doing that, I got to talk to a lot of Phillies fans and they seem to me to be a totally different kettle of fish than Eagles fans who are not particularly nice people. Um, and watching, you know, an 87 win team, whether it's the Phillies or whoever it is, kind of back into the playoffs, sneak in, you know, beat the Cardinals the way they did, you know, watching all the and not just that, but watching teams like the Dodgers go down, you know, watching the Yankees hopefully go down tonight. And, you know, and these games have just been so entertaining. These The Phillies Padres, especially, you know, back and forth and you know, big home runs and big pitching performances. And it just kind of reminds me of, you know, when I was a kid and really was watching baseball in the 86 Red Sox. And, you know, you really start falling in love with the sport. And then it kind of got away from itself for a little while. And now it's kind of, I, I feel like, you know, since, you know, maybe 04, because I am a Red Sox fan, but right through here. And it just, these baseball playoffs have been so entertaining and so much fun. And I'm really enjoying it. And I'm really hoping the Yankees get throttled tonight. Get rid of the Yankees. And then you'll have a Phillies Astros World Series, which, if nothing else, I think will be extraordinarily entertaining. So um, it's it's nice to have that along with the NFL season, you know, kind of all going on at the same time. Just kind of reminds me why sports are so great. That's my final thought. Yeah, I'd, I'd love for the for the Phillies to take it up if if the Astros do make it, and because seemingly, I, I guess maybe it's on Twitter, but Astros fans have gotten a little too honorary, I guess, because they're spoiled because they've been they've uh, won the AL what three years in a row, four years in a row. So you know, maybe they'll get a come up and survive the Phillies. Um, Bill, what's your final thought? So, you know, as is tradition, Shaq, you and I are on pretty similar wavelengths, and I think you sort of tapped into this a little bit um, a few minutes ago, but it's about this media obsession with the competition between people or things. And so it's everything needs to be, a you know, a, a versus situation. And it goes all the way back to 02, you know, or 0102. It, it's, you know, Brady versus Bledsoe. And then it's Brady versus Manning and the competition there. And then it's Brady versus Rogers or Brady versus this. And and then it's, you know, Belichick versus Shula and, you know, Hallis and that. And it's and then it becomes, you know, Tom versus time and Tom versus Bill and Mac versus Zap. And it's it's all of this ridiculous obsession with needing to predict the next thing. And it ties into everything we talked about today. Then this undying need the media has to predict what's going to happen next. It's not about opinions. It's not about takes. It's about trying to be right about something no one should predict. You know, the, the let's face it, the Patriots aren't good anymore. Trent Dilfer. 
Well, that sort of backfired for you, didn't it? That didn't go super well. It's the, you know, Bill is nothing without Brady. It's the, you know, Mac is Mac has a low ceiling. It's, it's, you know, it's all of the takes the tie that they try to tie into this competition and compare it to something else. And it, it just creates this hostile environment amongst fans where you see recently somebody's like, oh, Mac Jones was average. You know, Mac Jones has been an average quarterback in the NFL, you know, in the NFL. And it's, he had one of the best rookie seasons in the history of the NFL. He undisputably, you can argue whatever you want about what that means. He undisputably had one of the best rookie seasons a, a, a quarterback has ever had. And then, you know, you, you say that and somebody replies with like, yeah, but most rookies suck. So he was average. It, wait, no, no, he was a buck. Are you, what are you comparing him to? And it's like, are you comparing him to prime Peyton Manning? Is this, is this, you know, Mac versus Manning? Is this Mac versus Peyton? Is this Mac versus Brady? Like it, it becomes this whole, like the lines get blurred because the media wants to use these verses and these comparisons to predict the next great thing. And it, it just, it waters down the fan experience to such an extent. We all should have been able to enjoy Bailey Zappi playing great football over the last three weeks, stepping in in a really hostile environment in Lambeau and then running two really good games from there. And we should have been able to enjoy that. And instead we get, you know, it's zappy days, zappy fever where it's all, you know, everyone's zappy. Now Mac is gone. Mac sucks. No zappy sucks. And it becomes like this. You're either arguing against Mac Jones or arguing against Bailey zappy when we should be looking at it as we have two cost controlled good young quarterbacks at different places in their progression. And that's how no one lands here anymore. The last time I can think about two cost controlled, good young quarterbacks, and it didn't last super long was the, the Washington commanders having Robert Griffin, the third and Kirk cousins. And they spent the capital to get that in the same draft. We spent less capital to get this situation here. And it's a blessed place to be and we should enjoy it. And we should have been able to enjoy a rookie putting on a show. And instead it became this hostile argument filled environment where we had to like defend Mac against the zappy truthers or defend zappy against the Mac truthers. And it's, it, it just, the versus mentality we've created in the and it starts the media and trickles down to the fans is just not good. It's, it's just not good for the enjoyment of the game. And at the end of the day, what we need to do is just appreciate what we're seeing in front of us. No one is saying Damian Harris versus Ramondre Stevenson. We're saying we've got two really good running backs who we enjoy watching. Let's do that with with let's let's appreciate what Bailey has done. Right. Or or Hunter Henry versus John o. Smith. <laughs> right. There's no versus for positions with multiple people on the field at the same time. And I understand the nature of quarterback breeds a little bit of that. But let's just appreciate what a rookie quarterback just did and let's appreciate the development of both players as they move into the, as they move into year, you know, years two and three of their careers, respectively. It, it, I just, I'm really tired of the verses and I really want to see just enjoyment of what's being put in front of us. Yeah, Bill, you and I, we are a several wavelength and my final thought actually has something to do with that versus thing, but I'll get to that when Dan finishes his. So what's your final thought, Dan? 
So <clears throat> my final thought is just about um, how well the Patriots monitor players in the league. Um, and that has to do with the draft. I mean, that, that I could bring that up as my final thought if I really wanted to, which is, you know, the past few drafts have looked pretty good for the Patriots. And if you hear a lot of the big zing names that have come yeah, out. Yeah, I, so... I had a whole thing on it, but we'll do that next week. Okay. Wait, was that your final thought? No, no. We're going to do oh, okay. that next week because I have a whole thing written. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. Well, my point is more about how Cody Davis got injured uh, this week and um, he's out for the season. And the Pats quickly responded by signing Raleigh Webb off the practice squad of the, the Ravens. And he's a, I think he plays wide receiver. Um, he's probably listed as athlete in the draft, um, but he's also uh, a great special teamer. And he had a big play in special teams against the Pats this season. And that's just the kind of thing that the Pats pick up on. And it's what I love about Bill Belichick is like, he goes, he goes and talks to the players that impress him on the opposing side. He's watching everybody they're, they're watching. They're not just watching their own players. They're watching the other team. They're watching, Oh, that guy would be great if he came over to us, you know, that sort of thing. And, and it's, it's what Bill has done throughout the years is like, you know, you talk about Wes Welker, you talk about Justin Bethel, you talk about even Cody Davis, um, you talk about, all these guys that he watches, he, he admires. And then he wants Matt Judon, like he brings over to the Patriots and the Pats were just so quick to respond with what sounds like a really good special team signing. I don't know if he's going to fully replace Cody Davis, but that's really good for, you know, going into week seven off the cuff type of move. Um, you did that. And it sounds like it's going to be good for the Patriots, even though, you know, prayers up to, to Cody Davis and fam, but um, I was just really impressed by the insight, the scouting, the response. Um, so that just shows that they're paying attention all times. Even if people say like, build the GM is ruining, build the coach, but he's, he's proved even more so that, that both sides are just as important. He's good at both sides. Exactly. I, I, Bill, it, it is really it is a really good thing that he sees. It goes all the way back to guys like Wes Welker and guys like that who seemingly have the Patriots number, and then the Patriots wind up picking him up. So I, I like I like that I, that he doesn't take those um, advantages to heart. Um, my final thought is, <clears throat> it's time for me to be uh, Petty Betty, Petty Labelle, Mister Petty, because. When I want to, and I want to emphasize this by saying, if you are a Tom Brady fan, then maybe you should click off this podcast for the next minute or two, because uh, I'm so glad that all that Tom Brady is experiencing probably the worst stint of his career right now. Um, there, there's no doubt that his, that his, uh, that he's still physically capable of of winning a game. There's, there's no doubt about that. But mentally, he's totally checked out. And I, you know, I have a saying that, you know, since the last two years that it's not our problem anymore. It's not the Patriots problem anymore. And just from all that's happened the last month or so, the divorce rumors, the comparing yourself to a, a, a soldier in war, the the yelling at the at the players, just everything like there, there have been so many 
people who for the last two years have have got gotten on the Tom Brady train because, well, he's not a patriot anymore. That's number one, because, you know, all patriots are evil. And, you know, if you're a patriot, that means you're not a good person, apparently. But now that he isn't a patriot, he's more able to, you know, talk and, and go crazy and be wild and say whatever he wants to say. And I guess a lot of people like that. But over the last month, he hasn't done himself any favors with the comments that he's made and his play that hasn't been good. Um, they lost to the Panthers of all of all teams, and, and and that's the division team. So that obviously isn't good for their overall record. And to me, I love it because can you just imagine if Bill Belichick kept Tom Brady in the 2020 season, and if he wanted to stay, I, I can't imagine that 2020 season. It it would it, it he was already miserable in 2019. 2020, I mean, he would have just been just, you know, with all the tampering that he was doing to, to go to Miami. I mean, he he just would have been already at Miami. So I, I'm just happy. I, I love it. I, I never thought I would feel this way about Tom Brady, but I do. And it's I'm 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 I'm, I'm happy we don't have to deal with this anymore. I'm happy that we have two quarterbacks that, like Bill said, that we have under uh, control for you know at least the next three, four, five years and. You know, again, it doesn't take away from everything that we've enjoyed as fans from that Tom Brady has done. But what it does tell me is that Bill Belichick, you're a genius. And I can't believe that you were able to deal with that for 20 years. If what we saw on camera, if what we've seen on camera is a fourth of what, what he had to deal with on an everyday basis, I, I can't even imagine. So uh, hats off to him. So, you know, Tampa Bay fans uh, who are Brady fans, really enjoy yourselves. I, ho I hope I hope you're living your best lives. <laughs> so that's going to do it for us. Um, if if uh, you want to email us like Ben Volan did, uh, maybe you shouldn't. Uh, you can email us at entitledweekend at gmail.com. Um, we take we also take DMs. Um, we won't break break it to anybody. We will, we'll have to verify your DM if we do. But we, we do take DMs. We're at Entitled Weekend on Twitter. Um, Bill is at the Fib 0624. Rob is at Hoodie of Supremus. Dan is at Villains and Vibes. I'm at Atomic Dog 5150. And until next time, don't accept any DMs from Ben Bowen.